are entering the Freedom Hut. A GDP fit to make America great again. Folks, big economic news came out today. The Trump administration is feeling good, and they should, because of what they have done for the American economy and with it, the American people. We'll talk about that. Plus, we have all of the latest on the fight for the uh, the House and the Senate. The Democrats are looking toward socialism as a means of rallying their base. We'll talk about how they don't know how to pay for stuff, the socialists that we're hearing from. We'll get into that and much more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Moments ago, the numbers for America's economic growth, or GDP, were just released. And I am thrilled to announce that in the second quarter of this year, the United States economy grew at the amazing rate of 4.1%. We're on track to hit the highest annual average growth rate in over 13 years. And I will say this right now, and I'll say it strongly, as the trade deals come in one by one, we're going to go a lot higher than these numbers, and these are great numbers. During each of the two previous administrations, we averaged just over 1.8% GDP growth. By contrast, we are now on track to hit an average GDP annual growth of over 3%, and it could be substantially over 3%. Each point, by the way, means approximately $3 trillion and 10 million jobs. Think of that. Each point, you go up one point. It doesn't sound like much. It's a lot. It's $3 trillion, and it's 10 million jobs. When I came into office, 1.5 million fewer prime-age Americans were working than eight years before. We had lost almost 200,000 manufacturing jobs under the previous administration, and you all know, they say, well, you have to lose manufacturing jobs. It'll get worse and worse. Manufacturing jobs are obsolete. No, they're not obsolete. They're the greatest jobs we have. More than 10 million additional Americans had been added to food stamps past years. But we've turned it all around. Once again, we are the economic envy of the entire world. When I meet the leaders of countries, the first thing they say invariably is, Mr. President, so nice to meet you. Congratulations on your economy. You're leading the entire world. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. You heard it there from your president. GDP numbers that would be the envy of previous administrations uh, announced today. And this is the stuff that matters. You know, one of the issues that we keep coming up against here is that you have a president who is doing things for the American people that they can recognize. If, if people just take the, the narratives of the mainstream media, if they take all that, put it aside for a moment and think to themselves, what affects you? What is important for you in your day-to-day life? And then beyond there, make decisions about who they want to support or or how they feel about leadership in this country. All of a sudden, it becomes so clear, right? Trump is not this 
evil barbarian who's going to destroy everything and ruin the country. In fact, he's doing a great job running the country. And that's the part of this that I think makes the left maddest of all. It's not just that Trump is effective as a culture warrior. It's not just that Trump takes the fight to the media. It's that he's got results, too. You see, these all this stuff ties together. It wouldn't work. It wouldn't be enough if Trump merely just called CNN fake news. It's that he calls them fake news and he, and he fights back against these narratives out there while giving results like this to the American people. Now, look, I know that, you know, he's just the president. He's not the he is not in charge of all of uh, the economy. Obviously, that'd be terrible if he was. He's not in charge of all aspects of the economy. But if he's going to get the credit when it's bad, when something goes bad, he's got to get the credit when it goes good, folks. And that's where we are right now. And I think it's very clear that the decrease in regulation on businesses and the tax cuts have have borne fruit. And here we are. Media, of course, completely at a loss today for how, I mean, how do you describe good news as bad news? That's what they're trying. I saw the New York Times do something today. Their headline was. It was such a, a, a quaint little sleight of hand from them. It was, you know, GDP at 4.1%, but most experts think it will be really sluggish at the end of the year. You know what that is? Okay, sure, Trump's doing great right now, but, you know, vote vote Democrat in the midterms because we say the economy's going to be bad in the, in the final quarter, and, and you won't know, but just take our word for it. That's what they're really saying. That's what they're trying to sell trying to pass along to the american people and i just think that it's important that we all see it for what it is in fact here we've got uh, courtesy of our buddy producer mike by the way john where's producer mike i don't see him right now when oh he's oh he's doing so is he, is he talking to the some of the ladies next door is, is he down at is he down at starbucks getting phone numbers again producer mike you know, if it's okay, I'm okay. He's not if he's not drinking the black rifle when he's in the Starbucks. As long as he's getting phone numbers from ladies, I'm okay with it. Um, but anyway, uh, John, please play for us the to give a sense of what was going on today. What was the media response? How did they explain that GDP is as good as it is right now? Oh, here here gives you here gives you a sense of uh, what's going on. Play play clip ten, please. Soybeans, the magic bean, soybeans. has moved GDP. How much of this number was going to be sort of soybeans? Getting those soybeans out there before any kind of tariffs hit. Buying by overseas of soybeans ahead of these retaliatory tariffs. Farmers that grow soybeans had a huge surge in exports, and we're going to see that reverse. Soybean exports stockpiling ahead of what many feared would be a trade war. Soybeans! Soybeans, who knew they'd be so important? It kind of reminds me of... uh... Remember in, in in trading places when he learns about uh, pork bellies and and orange or I think it's orange juice futures that they're trading and coming to I mean, not that's not coming to America trading places oh gosh I almost got my Eddie Eddie Murphy movies mixed up but you know, never before have I have I heard one one product talked about in in this way with, with such gusto and enthusiasm uh, you know one one food commodity soybeans. Randolph, soybeans. Um, yeah, I, I don't think that it's all soybeans, folks. I think that that's probably a little bit simplistic in the thinking. I, I don't know how much we really sell in terms of soybeans, but to move GDP growth up, we're talking about 
trillions of dollars in economic activity here. I don't think it's just a soybean thing. And I'm pretty sure. Remember, remember what we were hearing about the Obama economy in the first couple of years? It was all, oh, but he inherited. It was the worst, the worst economy since the Great Depression. The worst. That's all. You didn't hear about how he was doing things that were great. In fact, the Obama administration really took credit for the bank bailout as saving the global financial economy, a global financial system, and that really got going under the end of the Bush administration. Obama was all about the stimulus, but the the bank bailout that was actually, uh, you know, that was Bush administration stuff at the very end there. Uh, but if we want some sanity, we can always turn to to Kudlow. Oh wait, we don't have we we have Kudlow. He'll he'll come hang out. He's, he's going to come on the air in a second here. I mean, not actually later. That would be great, though. But we've got a clip of Kudlow that we'll play for you in just a moment. Look, it was a good day, though, folks. It was a good day for the administration, a good day for the American people. And and I think it's a real, it's a real, uh... oh, here we go. Play it, please, with Mr. Kudlow. It is already beginning to work. Low tax rates, rollback of regulations, unleashing energy and uh, trade reform to fix a broken world trading system. Business investment is booming, 9 to 10% growth in the first half of this year. I believe that's going to continue. Why do I talk about business investment? Well, that's the key to productivity, which is the key to growth, which is the key to rising real wages and very strong jobs. These tax cuts, particularly on the business and investment side, are going to be boosting wages, livelihoods, and jobs for middle American ordinary working folks. And it's starting to take effect. And that's why I agree with the president. This is a boom that will be sustainable. I got to tell you, you know, for me right now, the the most inspired top level administration picks for Trump are are Mattis at defense, Pompeo at state and, and Kudlow as his economic advisor. I mean, really strong, really strong choices. And Heather Nauert over at state as a spokesperson. By the way, I've got my money on her for uh for White House press secretary, that would be a brilliant move if uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders has had enough at the end of the year and decides to go pursue other opportunities. I think Heather Nauert would be the choice. Uh, but I digress. So look, Kudlow's saying that this is this this is good stuff for everybody. It and it eventually does get to he does get to the notion of rising wages, which if Republicans can start to start to get that secret sauce going of rising wages across the country. So it's not just your 401k getting a little bit bigger. It's not just the business productivity side of it, but your wages going up more money in that paycheck for you. Isn't that what this is all about? You know, I look, there's still a lot of work to be done, work to be done on healthcare, work to be done on the border. I mean, I'm not saying that this is a rest on your laurels moment, quite the contrary, but I, I just can't help but compare it to what we were told was going to happen. And now where we are, we were being told that Trump was going to be not just, uh, you know, inept on the economy, but disastrous. It's going to be a disaster on the economy. It's going to be terrible. Oh, my gosh. Trump, it's going to be the absolute worst. You can't imagine. You can't imagine all the things that are going to go wrong with Trump at the helm of the U.S. economy. Meanwhile, it's just not true. Here, we can just give you some of the stats he threw out there today. Play six and nine, please. Perhaps one of the biggest wins in the report, and it is indeed a big one, is that the trade deficit, very dear to my heart because we've been ripped off by the world, has dropped by more than $50 billion. When I meet 
the leaders of countries, the first thing they say invariably is, Mr. President, so nice to meet you. Congratulations on your economy. You're leading the entire world. They say it almost each and every time. America is being respected again, and America is winning again because we are finally putting America first. More than 3.5 million Americans have been lifted off food stamps, something that you haven't seen in decades. 3.5 million Americans have been lifted off food stamps. That's because they were able to go out and get a job, and they're going to love their jobs. But, you know, they, they want you to focus, instead of this, the mainstream media wants you to focus on uh, Avenatti and non-disclosure agreements about alleged affairs from 10 years ago and and uh, meetings at Trump Tower where nothing happened and no one cares and nothing changed. You know, it's just all it's just all desperation and and misdirection on the other side, because this is now this is now increasingly just a results driven presidency. Show the results. Make it happen. I'll tell you that, you know, there's going to be another moment we have here, I think, coming up pretty soon. We get to say, oh, thanks, President Trump, for Judge Kavanaugh. We're going to now have that guy on the Supreme Court, if all goes according to plan, for decades to come, which is is another just big check in the victory column, in the win column for the Trump administration. And I'm here just to tell you, folks, that you're not going to get this from that many other places. A lot of them. They're going to talk about soybeans. They're going to talk about Michael Avenatti, or they're going to just try to focus in on some other stuff. But the fact of the matter is that this administration is getting it done, getting it done for you, and there's real reason to believe that it's only going to be uh, up from here in terms of growth and productivity and everything once the tax cuts kick in really fully. You know, that it's really going to give a major boost to the economy. But you could have Democrats who all of a sudden, they've got the best electoral map in a long time for Democrats coming up in this midterms, and, and they could put the brakes on this. They could cause all kinds of problems and slow it down. So, you know, there, there is cause for concern. We do have to stay uh, rallied behind, uh, behind this effort. And I know I've got to roll into a break here. By the way, it is Friday, so I'd love to take some of your calls. 844-900-2825-844-900. Buck. Uh, I am looking forward to chatting. By the way, we've got Greg Jarrett of Fox News. He's got a new book out. He's going to join later on. It's Friday. We'd like to have some buddies call in. He's going to hang out with us for a bit, and uh, we have a lot more. We're definitely going to... Man, we've got another wonderful socialism interview with Ocasio-Cortez to get through together. That is going to be fun, I promise you. So we've got a lot of things to talk about. It's going to be a good show, team. Be right back. Some of those jobs of the past are just not going to come back. And when somebody says, like the person you just mentioned, who I'm not going to advertise for, that he's going to bring all these jobs back. Well, how exactly are you going to do that? What are you going to do? There's, the, there's no answer to it. He just says, well, I'm going to, I'm going to negotiate a better deal. Well, how, what, how exactly are you going to negotiate that? What magic wand do you have? And usually the answer is he doesn't have an answer. Since I was elected, we've created approximately $7 trillion of new wealth. The year before I came into office, private business investment grew at only 1.8%. Last year, it jumped to 6.3%. That was my first full year. We had to do a lot of things to get it to grow. 
And this year, it's growing at 9.4 percent. So that's a very tremendous increase. There hasn't been an increase like that in many, many years, decades. These numbers are very, very sustainable. This isn't a one-time shot. I happen to think we're going to do extraordinarily well in our next report next quarter. So who do you believe, folks? Oh, that's right. We now have results. It's not just a question of who you think will be right. That was Obama talking about Trump, of course, saying that you know Trump has no magic wand and can't pull this off and all that kind of stuff. And then you have Trump like, well, here's what's happened. Hmm. It's almost like being hostile toward business and free enterprise uh, as Obama was, not big business necessarily. If they're big Democrat donors and such, he's fine with it. If they're unions, he's fine with it. But the notion of individual enterprise and ingenuity and small business and being left to do your own thing and enjoy your success and build wealth. Yes, dare I say it. That was those were concepts that Obama just generally was uncomfortable with much more interested in spreading the wealth around than growing the wealth. And then you have Trump, who obviously is much more into making sure that the American people have fewer restraints on them so they can pursue their own dream and their own wealth and spends a lot less time thinking about how he's going to take it from them and give it to the state or give it to other people who are deemed more deserving of some of that money uh, than the individual who made it. So we've we've seen the results, my friends, and it's it's powerful. It's profound that I think it's uh, something we should all be very, very psyched about. Um, oh, wait, here's CNN on this one. I just want to get to this one real quick. Play play 15. So there's no question this is a really strong top line number. Mm-hmm. But just about everybody, probably with the exception of those in the White House, think that this is a temporary blip. And that, why, is it, why is it temporary? So there are a lot of things going on here, but there's more of a sugar high story than the really important question, which is, can you get sustainable growth? You mean we a have soybean a lot of high story? against us in the economy, mainly the aging of the population. Mm-hmm. But this quarter, what we have was deficit finance tax cuts, mm-hmm. deficit finance spending, and a huge kind of bump up in demand for our goods, soybeans in particular, because of there the we go, soybeans. possible trade war. Yeah, I don't know about that. I don't think so. Nice try, though. Um, let's talk about the latest with the Cohen-Trump fiasco. That's coming up. Liberty, truth, and great hair. The Buck Sexton Show is back. There was sort of an urgency in the president's voice that bordered on of of um, almost pulling a pulling a muscle, trying to pat yourself on the back. He was you could feel that he knows there's all these other headlines out there that are not good, especially this morning involving Michael Cohen, involving the Russia investigation. Um, frankly, even in, on the economic front, he got a lot of grief about trade from even fellow Republicans while traveling in the Midwest. So today felt like an attempt and you could even hear it. He kept veering from his remarks and then going back to the remarks and extending them even longer, but all in a sense of trying really hard to, to say, hey, please pay pay attention to the economic story and ignore the all the other stuff. I, Chuck Todd sounded like he was going to pass out there. He was stretching and pulling and doing everything he could to make it sound like Trump is the one that has to go through a lot to tell his side of it right now. Um, No, I think the numbers are really strong and everybody wants to talk about that and think about that and what that means for us, because it is meaningful, unlike all that other stuff. But look at that. That's what I mean by narrative creation here. That's that's a perfect example. You get Chuck Todd over there at uh, at NBC. 
MSNBC, NBC, right? The crossover is something you got to keep in mind. And he's saying, oh, no, it's not really the economy that Trump is wants to be talking about. Or rather, it's not really the economy people want to hear about. This is just Trump doing a distraction. Yeah. The thing that matters to all of us is the distraction. The thing that only matters to the media people that have been running that story for months and months with no no evidence to support many of the assertions they're making. That's that's what we need to hear about. Right. Sure. By the way, we got a we got a call coming from Greg, who is downrange in Afghanistan. What's up, Greg? Hey, Buck. How's it going? Hey, man. That's a, this is our first Afghanistan call. I'm excited. Thanks for calling in. Absolutely, buddy. Uh, I want to talk about you know Clapper and Brennan. Uh, you talked earlier in the week about it. Um, eating, you know, using their access uh, to make political points and things like that. And I thought it was interesting uh, this week. You know, I had to sign some paperwork for my own. Uh, security clearance and whatnot. And it's like pretty standard um, that you can't use your position and then profit from that. So I don't see, or this is just another example of, you know, people in the government using the power that they have to get away with things that we would normally be uh, prosecuted for, or at least had our access denied, you know, clearances taken away, things like that. Um, Right. I mean, just, just imagine, just imagine, Greg, if I was saying, hey, I'm an investigative reporter and and I still have a security clearance. So I, I want to do a really like a, a deep dive on what's going on with, you know, U.S. military operations in some part of the world where we don't really talk about you know, the fact that we have any military operations going on, for example. And I go in, I look at all the classified, and then I come out, I'm like, hey, now I'm going to now that obviously would get you in trouble on the on the Espionage Act side. But if you still have access Right. If someone still has access and they are going on TV like Brennan does and saying, I know the president, you know, is is a Russian agent. More or less, that then has the sting of, oh, well, he must know. Right. Because he, he, he still has access and he's making this claim. And he's a CIA director. So it's not that it's necessarily a legal issue for them. It's just an ethical issue because it's a way to smear the president where people have to say, OK, well, since you have access at that level, and you're you're going on TV, and you are implying that the president is guilty of these terror of, of this you know terrible betrayal of the country. People will take that seriously, and that's very damaging. Absolutely. Um, one other thing, I, I just got to say, um, your Freedom Hide podcast with uh, Jebediah was absolutely amazing. It was a great throwback to to listen to you guys talk uh, about the old school days at GBTV and and that sort of thing. So I really do appreciate. Uh, the the additional podcasts and even though you know they're, they're not deep dives or anything like that, but more of the sit down interviews, just a couple of friends talking about life. Um, it was really enjoyable to listen to that. Thank you, Greg. I, I mean, dude, you're, you're Greg, Greg. I know you're going to like the one with Jesse Kelly and Sean Parnell. It's <laughs> it's up, by the way, everybody. It's up, and uh, I don't know. You know, the, the, those two guys are hilarious on their own. So we got them together, and we we just got into it, man. So Greg, definitely listen to that one and, and give me your thoughts. You know, send me a message on uh, on uh, Facebook or email me. All right, buddy. Hey, you keep your you keep yourself safe downrange. All right, buddy. Keep your head on a swivel. Cool. Thank you for your service. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Greg. Uh, Shields high to Greg, man. First Afghanistan. We've had a South Korea call. We've had Germany calls. We've had. I think that we have an Iraq call once, and we now we've had Afghanistan, so good times. Ed out in California. What's up, Ed? How you doing, Buck? I'm good. Thank you for the call, sir. 
Yes, sir. I appreciate it. I'm trying to dodge the smoke here and the fires, but anyway. You guys have more uh, wildfires out there? Oh, that's bad news. Yeah, another one starting up in Redding up here, just north of us here. I huh. guess they're they're evacuated pretty much the whole town, like 92,000 people from what I understand. But Well, stay safe, man. Don't take any chances, all right? Yeah, we're all good here. We're all good. I'm redneck from heaven, so it doesn't matter. But anyway, do you think President Trump is ever going to get a fair shake in anything he does at no. all? No. From this media? No way. doesn't matter. I mean, President Trump could cure cancer, send the Dow to 50,000, and, and end all wars and bring peace on Earth, and they would still be saying, but do you hear how he talked about women on that Billy Bush tape? Uh, I know, man. And where it's really getting me, it's, <laughs> it's just, I mean, Nobody's ever talked to Kim Jong-un, and now they just returned all these remains. Oh, how come they were wrapped in U.N. flags? They weren't well, he's wrapped just, in Just UN so everybody, flags. just Ed, so we keep everybody on the same page here, Ed's referring to the fact that the North Korean regime has, uh, as a gesture of good faith, returned the remains of Americans uh, who fought in the Korean War. So, As, as, part, of, as part of the deal, oh, it, it, we're going to have nuclear war with this now it's russia nuclear war no and now it's the eu one trillion dollars with the eu and all you hear about is soybeans 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 you ain't never heard about soybeans in the last 100 years about soybeans who cares it's like what you were saying with concentrated frozen orange juice yeah you remember, have you ever seen trading places uh, great movie places. man I, I think that's eddie murphy's second best movie personally oh i loved it i loved it Oh, Randolph Mortimer. Yeah, here's your dollar. I wish I'd bet you a dollar when, when I called you up the first time when you won the first Trump supporter when I called you up way back when. when yeah, man, look, him. I've I've come a long you I've come a long me, way. <laughs> you would have sent me a dollar. I guarantee you. I know. Hey, 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 man, thank I you for call, but, thank you for calling out in California, man. Shields high. You have a good weekend. You, I, appreci- I appreciate the call. Uh, yeah, it's it's um Look, he's right. I mean, pe- people get it, right? That's the thing. If you're if you're paying attention, none of this stuff is really is really coming out of left field. It, it's all in line with what you was. I'm trying to figure out what the total total U.S. soybean crop. I want to just do a quick uh, so I can throw this throw this one out there. What is the um, what is the total U.S. soybean crop? Projected crop of 4.3 billion bushels, huh? Is that what it is? Anyway, I, I got to figure. Producer Mike, give me a figure on it. I mean, how much soybean do we even sell in this country? I'm sure it's a lot, but I'll tell you this, by the way. The only drink, because it's not a milk, it's a drink, but the only one that I just want to banish, I think soy milk is the worst of all the fake milks, as I've told you. And and I, I even have been told, I was told by a lady who knew a lot of science that they feed soy to cows in Japan specifically because it ups estrogen and makes them fattier. So once I heard that, I'm just like, I am, I don't need, I don't need any, you know, to be drinking man boob juice in my, in my latte in the morning or whatever. This is not a good idea. So I decided to uh, stay away from it because I don't need to grow any man boobs. That's a bad idea. So apparently you don't want to, you don't want to go too heavy on the soy. I don't know. That might be a wives tale that I was told, but I was told some things about soy milk that I've never known. Prove me wrong. (laughs) Exactly, dude. Thank you. Well played. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. I'll talk about the Cohen thing real quick when we come back here. And then 
I mean, this we're going to have some fun making fun of socialists in the Democrat Party, in this country, no less. Some of them celebrated in the media. That will be coming up in the next hour. And uh, also, you heard it. uh, You heard it there from Greg. We're talking about it. Uh, Greg in Afghanistan. We got the Freedom Hub podcast up tonight. We, we've decided to go with a, an interview show format for the Freedom Hut for a while now until at least I can get my, well, we're going to return to the Shields High as well. I got so many projects, uh, but Jesse Kelly and Sean Parnell on the Freedom Hut, I think you're really going to like it. It is a fun one, and it's up. It's on iTunes. It's on Stitcher. Uh, it's on the iHeart uh, podcast platform. So however you like to listen, please go check it out there. And the I think the episode is called a Marine, a Ranger, and a CIA guy walk into a bar. Oh, sorry. Ranger, Marine, and a CIA. Of course, the uh, the Ranger goes first. Interesting. A Ranger, Marine, and CIA guy walk into a bar. That's the name of the episode. And that's pretty much what you're getting when you tune in. So uh, check that one out. And uh, team, we'll be right back. Look, the Trump Tower meeting is is bad. It's not collusion in the sense that they were that they opened the investigation over. I don't think that it's bad if campaigns are turning to foreign governments for dirt. It's not collusion. It's not something that's impeachable. It's icky. Um, but that's what this is. That's our friend Andy McCarthy on Fox News. And I, I keep pointing this out for everyone who says, oh, my gosh, like the Trump Tower meeting. Like, oh, my gosh, the Trump Tower meeting. I keep saying, even if, because now the big revelation, let me, let me just give this the context, right? The big revelation is that Cohen, who's on record saying Trump didn't know about the Trump Tower meeting, is now coming out because he's, they got him. I mean, they're going to get him on some kind of a, you know, some scam or fraud or something. He's looking at prison time and he's going to sing any song they want him to. And, you know, they're out there and they're saying, Okay, you know, what can you give us on him? And, and, and now you got Cohen, who's just trying to butter up the Southern District of New York by giving him something and being, uh, you know, as amenable to Mueller and all the rest of them as he can. He's saying, well, Trump did know about the Trump Tower meeting. Remember, this is the meeting with uh, Jared and uh, Trump Jr. And uh, who else was in there? Was it uh, Manafort? No, Manafort wasn't in there, was he? Lewandowski? I forget. There was like a, a crew of a few bigwigs in the campaign. And they met with this Veselnitskaya character, who, by the way, has connections to Fusion GPS. And no one ever really, like, we think that's a coincidence, folks? I don't think. But the, the bottom line here is nothing happened, and e- meaning that there was no information exchanged. And even if information had been exchanged, it's not a crime. Okay? There's, there's no crime there. I, I, I keep saying this to people. If it's a crime to meet with a Russian who gives you information about a political candidate, then it's also a crime for a foreigner, Christopher Steele, to take information from Russian sources and give that not just to the press in this country to throw the election, but also the FBI. And then use that, right? I mean, you know, to accept that information is also a crime for the campaign that paid him. How is one of these things okay? We keep hearing about foreign influence. Christopher Steele is a foreigner who directly tried to influence the election by weaponizing the intelligence community and weaponizing the FBI with help from Hillary's allies in the media and was paid by Hillary's campaign to do it. 
using Russian sources that he did not even vet or know the the you know the full extent of what they were trying to do. And and they're going to lecture us about about oh foreign interference, not illegal, and they definitely had foreign interference in the election on their side. People say, oh, Buck, it's so different, Russia and UK. Okay, he's British, but his sources were Russian. Christopher Steele was using Russian sources. So, you know, this this obsession, this fantasy that people are playing out of, oh, now they're finally, okay, what, we're going to catch, oh, oh, now they're going to catch Trump in a lie that's really going to be the end for him, right? Oh, this is the lie that we just can't take any more of these lies, please. It's really, they're just, at a certain point, you just, sense they're crazy they're childish i don't know what these anti-trumpers think they're gonna accomplish with all this but they're, they're losing it man jack in oklahoma city hey jack how are you i'm good man thanks for your call what's on your mind i i've just been watching the media just over the past since trump's been elected and i cannot for the life of me understand what the media's end goal is with always trying to tear down trump I don't understand. The well, what do you mean by that? I mean, the end goal is to tear him down, right? I mean, the end, the end goal is to take him out. Do you mean what they want to replace but, him? or? Um, well, the, it seems like the, the goal for the media is to bring everybody together, right? But it seems like they're trying to divide America into two separate parts. You're either with Trump or against Trump. Oh, no, and, but I think their goal is to divide people, my, my friend Jack. I don't think their goal is to unite us. We're much we're much easier for them. Look, the way that they you've got to remember there, there's ratings and there's ideology. And, you know, you could you'd think, well, if they have the broadest possible audience uh, you know, that that gives them the most money, which is true. But these are ideologically driven actors and the people that work at these news outlets, especially the big ones and the big networks, you know, they've already got a lot of money. And even when they don't have big audiences like Fox News size audiences, they've got enough audience that they can make money. So then it just comes to what their what is their motivation, and their motivation is is ideological. It's partisan, and they want they want to take out Trump. That's what it is. That does make sense. It's all run by money. Yeah, man. I mean, look, the other side of it. And I think this may be what you're getting at, Jack. Is let's say they're right. Let's say they finally just hounded Trump to the point where he said, "You know what? I'm done with this. I'm going to go back to playing golf and do whatever I want." Which, by the way, I have days where I'm like, if I were Trump, I that's probably what I would do. You know, if seeing what he's going through. But let, let's say let's say that they, they reach that point. First of all, they would have Mike Pence to deal with, who I, I think in a lot of ways they would hate his policies even more if he became president. I think that's possible. And and beyond that, you would have a lot of people who are like, see, they wouldn't even let Trump do what he was doing, even though it was going well for the country. They don't have America. The media doesn't have America's best interests at heart. And Trumpism, in a sense, would be enshrined forever into in American politics because we would know that they opposed it just for being bitter and not being their thing, not because it's about what's best for America. Does that make sense? You know what I'm saying? That makes perfect sense. I I just don't understand how you can put money in front of your country. It's, oh, yeah. Well, Jack, there's a lot. Unfortunately, there's a lot of that going on these days. But Shields High, my friend, thank you for calling in from Oklahoma. Whew, man, speaking of money and the spreading of it around, that's kind of a weak transition, but, you know, it's, it's Friday. Uh, socialism. We think we know it's bad, and yet it is somehow hip again in America. How? I don't even know what to say. But socialism has become hip again. We'll, we'll get into the how and the why and the where and the when and all those fun questions, all that good stuff coming up here in, in, a, in a few minutes. Uh, if you want to ch- chat 
You see there's a story, Mike, about how cat poop makes you re- carries a parasite that makes you reckless and fearless. True story. We actually talked about it today on Rising on Hill.TV. They threw in the prompter. I thought they were kidding. It's a real story. Cat poop can make you crazy. There's a parasite. Side note. All right. Folks, if you've got the problem of animals digging under your fence, I have the solution. It is dig defense, okay? Just trust me. Don't deal with this ever again. Deal with it once and you're done. Dig defense extends the protection of your fence underground, and all you have to do is install it at the base of any fence, and it will protect your pet and your property. Hammer and gloves, all you need to get it in there, okay? So if you've got the problem of pets, dogs particularly that are going to dig under that fence and get out and run around you got to chase them down all kinds of anxiety can ruin your day all right you don't want that anymore dig defense will make the problem go away it's available online at lowe's tractor supply menards wayfair and stopthedig.com and now for the month of july visit stopthedig.com and use promo code buck for 10 percent off that's stopthedig.com and use promo code BUCK. That's promo code B-U-C-K at stopthedig.com for 10% off your entire order. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One make, make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now... All right, so this is this is some good stuff. Kick back, relax. We're going to have some fun here on Friday. So you may recall that a, a an upstart candidate, you know, an, an out-of-nowhere Cinderella story candidate, uh, beat one of the most powerful machine politicians in the Democrat House of Representatives, Crowley, Joe Crowley. He lost to uh, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. As I keep saying, hyphenated names, not my thing, but I'll say the name because that's what the name is. Uh, so kept losing to Ocasio-Cortez, or lost to Ocasio-Cortez, and she's now overwhelmingly, you know, like 90% plus favorite to win that seat for the general election because it's New York, and unfortunately, as much as I love New York, it's full of a lot of very left-wing Democrat types. And she has become a darling of the left already. You know, she's got the politics of Bernie Sanders, but she's a Hispanic female. You know, all, all that, you know, has got this energy around her. They're all so excited about this. But then she says things in response to questions. And the things she says in response to those questions are not exactly awesome. First, it was on firing line with Margaret Hoover. And she said some stuff that, you know, maybe you say she's a little green, she's a little new, it's a rookie mistake kind of stuff. Okay, okay, fine. You know, all right, all right. And then you had, of course, Ali Stuckey over at CRTV who went viral making fun of that Ocasio-Cortez interview. And then the left was so protective of Ocasio-Cortez, they made sure it went even more viral by saying, oh, it's not satire marked, it's just satire People are like, what does that even mean? Now now you have to write, this is a joke on every joke on Twitter. And now there has to be some leeway for when it's obvious, it's obvious, folks. You know? And if you can't figure out the joke, well, then the joke's on you, right? But the left was all, oh, my gosh, this is not satire. It's terrible. We didn't know, or people didn't know. It's unfair. And Ocasio-Cortez, you can't say mean things. Anyway, you, you get the idea. 
So you probably think to yourself, or at least I did, all right, so they're going to rein this in, and they're, they're going to get Ocasio-Cortez. Uh, they're going to focus in on how, you know, Ocasio-Cortez needs to look at the issues, you know, wealth redistribution and inequality and the usual social justice claptrap that the, you hear from all these different people on the social justice-obsessed left. But it hasn't gone exactly as planned. She went on the, the Daily Show which is now which was given to Trevor Noah, a pretty obscure South African comedian who is not funny and yet is now, you know, making 20 million dollars a year or something by being not funny because the the people that, you know, run Comedy Central are like, "Let's just give this guy Trevor Noah a show." And so he's got this show. Cuz that's what what Americans really want is to hear a South African guy's take on American political culture and politics, you know. Just like what Americans really want is a British guy, Piers Morgan, telling them about guns. You know, who knows nothing about guns, but hey, but he's got that really fancy accent. Oh, gosh, but I digress. So we, we broke this up. This interview's this interview is amazing. We broke this interview up into two parts because I really want to lean into this a bit. Because remember, this is not just somebody I'm not trying to. Be, I think she's around my age. Maybe she's a little, probably a little younger than me. I'm getting old now. Uh, I'm not I'm not trying to beat up on anybody but this is i've been told by democrats who are involved in electoral politics who know the game that she is the future this is their words okay the future of the democratic party ocasio cortez and uh here's part of this and remember this is a friendly interview this is on the daily show where they're just trying to give her as many high fives and as much as much love as possible here's how this whole thing went play clip two please how do you pay for these? You know, you always see people coming in with economic arguments mm-hmm. and they say, look, these numbers don't really add up. You know, in order to get health care for everybody, this is what it would cost. Mm-hmm. That's going to be troubling. Even if you reverse the Republican tax deal, that's only going to make up 5% of what mm-hmm. we need to pay for Medicare for all. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, how do you pay for education for all? How do you pay yeah. for all of these these ideas? So uh, this, is an, this is an excellent, excellent question. And mm-hmm. in fact, there's a lot of back of the envelope stuff based on Uh-oh. our values. So, for back example, I sat down. Um, with a Nobel Prize economist last week. I can't believe I can say that. It's really weird. But, um, but one of the things oh that we gosh. saw is if people pay their fair share, if corporations and the ultra-wealthy, for example, as Warren Buffett likes to say, if he paid as much as his secretary paid, 15%. Okay, wait, can we, can we pause this for one second? Pause? Okay, notice how... She she kind of sli- she immediately slips into social justice jargon here about pay your fair share, taken straight from Obama to Warren Buffett, you know America's super wealthy grandpa who loves to be thought of as this really you know jolly guy that just wants to help everybody out. Uh, he could give away his fortune anytime he wants, folks. He can give away to the IRS if he feels like it. The Treasury Department will take whatever Warren Buffett wants to give them. But she, she, it's, it's all automatically turns into like, let's get the most cliched phrases and arguments possible into this. How the heck do you pay for Medicare for all? Which, when they looked at California and just doing Medicare for all in California, the most progressive people in the state, at least the ones who know what ended up being the, the final price tag, were like, well, that's ruinous. We can't do that. So if it would if it would destroy California to do health care for all, destroy the state budget, we think it's going to be easier to do that for 320 million people. But she slips right into the just the talking points, the canned phrases. And like I talked to this Nobel Prize winning economist. That's fantastic. Continue on with the clip, please. 
15% tax rate. If uh, corporations paid, uh, we if we reversed the, the tax bill, but went, raised our, our corporate tax rate to 28%, which is not even as high as it was before. Right. Um, if we if we do those two things and also close some of those loopholes, that's two trillion dollars right there. That's two trillion dollars in ten years, and yeah. it's yeah. Wide, one of the wide estimates is that it's going to take three to four trillion dollars to transition us to a hundred percent renewable energy economy. So we got two trillion dollars from Wait, folks what? paying their fair share, which they were not paying before the Trump tax bill. Right? They weren't no like. They weren't paying that before the Trump tax bill. If we get people to, fa- to pay their fair share, that's $2 trillion in 10 years. Okay, pause. How many times is she going to repeat pay their fair share? Does she, I mean, you know, she's trying to get into the numbers. Then it's, you know, pay your fair share, pay your fair we, we get it, right? But this is social justice rhetoric. It's not the reality of implementing a policy and making this work on a balance sheet. And the whole thing about $2 trillion over 10 years, What? who's going to pay for that, like, tomorrow, next year? I mean... Two trillion over ten years of you know who anyway, continue on with this mess. Now, if we implement a carbon tax on top of that oh, that's so that idea. we can transition and, and financially incentivize people away from fossil fuels, if we implement a carbon tax, that's an additional amount of um of of a large amount of revenue that we can have. An and then amount the of a last large key, amount. which is extremely, extremely important, is reprioritization. Just last year, we gave the military a $700 billion uh, tax, uh, budget increase, which they didn't even ask for. Pause. They're like, we don't want another... No, that is false. They did not get a $700 billion increase. They have a 700 that's actually more like $800 billion budget. The increase is not the entirety of the budget. Also, they definitely asked for it. Mattis was saying they need it, and the military had been hollowed out under the Obama years in many ways. Continue. Another fighter jet. Like, they're like, don't <laughs> like, give I don't us need, like, another, another nuclear jet. bomb. I need, yeah. like, another they, they didn't even Cardi ask B for it, album. and we gave it to them. And so a lot of what we need to do is reprioritize what we want to accomplish as a nation. Folks, I'm. I know it's. Look, I don't like to. I don't like to be mean or anything. I mean, you go back and listen. It's just blather. It's just blather. And if your big ideas are going to be things like healthcare for all, you'd think that you would at least have the have the talking points nailed. She's grasping for the talking points. Like, yeah, like pay your fair share and like the thing and like the you know like all the stuff and it like comes together and like five percent and like carbon tax and like it's it's just a jumble of slogans and phrases that she has heard people say that she knows she gets applause for saying, but doesn't really understand what any of it actually would mean in real life. The future of a Democratic Party here, folks. That's where we're being told, the future of the Democratic Party. Look, maybe she'll read some of that, some of those Nobel Prize winners' books or something and learn some things going forward. By the way, she's also bragged on online about her economics degree. So I'm also not, this isn't like, and I'm not an econ guy. I'm a politics and national security guy. But I don't run around like, well, look at my econ degree. And then say things like, yeah, like carbon tax and like 5% of the 10% and like a big amount of a bigger amount and the other amount of the big amount. And and, and you could tell that. And Trevor Noah is just like, um, yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, great. Yeah. I mean, he's trying to be so, you know, go for it. I'm with you. I'm, you know, he's, he's just hoping she can pull through this thing. Oh, I'm not done. There's more. Play clip. Play clip, uh, play clip two of two. Oh, it is it. Ah, I thought I had more of it. No, there's more. Psh, please. Someone needs a code red. 
Is there more? Or am I crazy? Producer Mike, you're spin you're spinning around in the screen there. What's going on? You're 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 giving me vertigo. Oh, we already got through two. I was all excited about. It. I'm sorry, I lied, guys. I thought we had more. Well, there is more of the interview, and it's just as bad as that. But that's all the audio that we have to share for right now. What a mess, you know? What 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 kind of a train wreck? And then and then I thought, where would she get this notion of talk about being a Democrat socialist but don't know anything about socialism? And then today, it just so happened that maybe we get an answer to that. Campus reform, it's always doing great work. Uh, in Ocasio-Cortez's district in New York, my hometown, they're asked how to pay for socialism. Here's how that went. Play clip three. I feel like everyone should have like um, like, free um, education and health care. Yeah, like, how are we going to pay for those? Oh, God. I mean... Yeah, us. Us, I guess. Who, in your mind, should pay for all of the free things? All of the free things? Well, some of it should come from taxes, but the government should pay for it. Yeah, the government is funded by taxes. Yeah. I don't know where the money would come from, but... I don't know. They can figure it out. Okay. (laughs) More taxes on the rich people. Yeah, for sure, man. Like, they can afford it. Tax corporations, since tax for 1%, and find a way to support... 1%. Won't be enough money for, like, any of this, but, like with a good idea and a good reason to spend their tax money wouldn't mind actually paying more taxes. No, there don't are mind. so many They'd of these countries out there that are employing a lot more socialism in their government and into their politics and they're doing really Venezuela? well. Venezuela? That's so. like awesome. Is Venezuela doing that? Ooh. Oh, look at that. I don't know too much about Venezuela, honey. Are they still communists right now? So like, they're technically socialist. Okay, okay. Look at other countries. It works. Like other countries, you pay higher taxes, but your government takes care of you. So when you see... The social system failing in Venezuela, does that concern you? I mean, yeah. Obviously. (laughs) My family is Cuban, and, like, I've seen the downfall of, like, extreme leftism. But also, like, I see how it, like, boosts the community, and, like, it has its up and downs, and I think we can definitely learn from history on that terms. Privatized health care is a huge issue, and if it was a government-funded thing, that would be, you know, when there aren't... Do you think the government would run it more efficiently? In a perfect world, sure. I'm liberal. I don't know exactly like where I stand, but I know like sounds like a liberal to me. Democratic socialist is better than yeah, conservative. Totally. It's just better than it's the better option. In what way? Um, I, when I think of it, I just think of like more open-minded people. You know, I'm gonna, some of the what they said is is really doctrine. It's liberal doctrine, which is it's just like this is what the nice people think, and the good nice people that are open-minded think these things. And they're told to think them. Why? Don't worry about the why. Just think them. That's what the nice open. So there, there was real. There were nuggets of real truth and and insight in the nincompoopery. But you know, it, it's tougher. On the one hand, I feel like I'm I'm being kind of harsh on uh, Ocasio Cortez when this she comes out of the same political culture as all these college kids who are being told like, yeah, like socialism is like the good thing, or like the government like takes care of you, and like it just will come from the government, like the money for it and stuff, like whatever. Yeah. That's what they're taught. And there are teachers who will stand up and applaud that and think that that's really good. You know, there are teachers who uh, think that that's very insightful. And I remember when I took a class on the American right in college and there was like this little little faction of three or four students that were all conservative and they all they were younger than me. I was a senior. And they would all come over and, and it started out we were just in this lecture class and then they all started sitting next to me just because otherwise they felt too weird because everyone else was just trashing American conservatism in the whole, it was a sociology class, which there's your first problem. Why does sociology even exist? Think about this for a moment. Sociology is an entire 
academic discipline dedicated to the perpetuation of leftist ideology. That's what sociology predominantly is, at least in my experience on campus. It's just like, why leftism is right? Let's call it sociology. Uh, but I remember they were, they were getting, you know, all, all, the, all the cool kids in the class actually were hanging out around Buck, around Buck Island, which is what I was in that class. The professor gave me the worst grade that I got in, uh, in three years, by the way, in that class. Yeah, that's right. Of course, right? Yeah. I, it's because I took him to school a few times. Took him to school a few times. He didn't like that. All right, 844-900-2825. Quick, uh, quick sponsor moment here. We get to hear from all of our wonderful sponsors. We'll be right back. Here's what I love about the guys at Simply Safe. They're all about the details. And when you're talking about a home security system, you want somebody who's thought about all the possible problems, right? Fire, smoke, flood, people breaking in, all these different carbon monoxide, all these different threats in the home. And then eliminate them. Give you peace of mind. You can monitor it with their app. I do it myself. It's so easy. I've got the app on my phone. This system that Simply Safe has is so quick to install, unobtrusive in your home, and that's it. No long-term contracts, no problems with their uh, interface, and also the customer service is top-notch. It's the best around-the-clock protection you can find. Protect your home today. Visit simplysafe.com slash buck. That's simplysafe.com slash buck, simplysafe.com slash buck for the best security system on the market, the simplest, the most straightforward, and no contracts or small print that are going to drive you nuts. Simplysafe.com slash buck. Well, team, it looks like... uh... CBS just got me tooed. Les Moonves and CBS face allegations of sexual misconduct. Six women have accused the CEO of harassment and intimidation. Dozens more describe abuse at CBS. Just to put this in this context, here's the opening paragraph. This is a piece by Ronan Farrow. Bad day to be Les Moonves, that's for sure. For more than 20 years. Leslie Moonves has been one of the most powerful media executives in America. As the chairman and CEO of CBS Corporation, he oversees shows ranging from 60 Minutes to The Big Bang Theory. His portfolio includes the premium cable channel Showtime, the publishing house Simon & Schuster, and a streaming service CBS All Access. Moonves, who is 68, has a reputation for canny hiring and project selection. Last year, according to filings with the Securities and Exchange Commission, he earned nearly $70 million, making him one of the highest paid corporate executives in the world. And in recent months, Moonves has become a prominent voice in Hollywood's Me Too movement. But Moonves's private actions belie his public statements. Six women who had professional dealings with him told Ronan Farrow that between the 1980s and the late aughts, Moonves sexually harassed them. Four described forcible touching or kissing during business meetings. Oh, man, and it gets worse. Uh, folks, you know, you got to wonder, this: what is it with these guys who are running media organizations or involved in media at very high levels, incredibly wealthy, incredibly powerful, influential guys who are just gross weirdos? You know, you, you start to... You start to wonder how many, you know, instead of thinking of how many are bad, you're thinking how many are good. I mean, it really, 
you look at these numbers of what's been going on here. What's off the top of my head? Okay, the big one obviously was Weinstein. You got we got Weinstein, Cosby, Charlie Rose, uh, Mike. Who else? Who else is like? Who are the big other ones that I've missed? Right? I mean, oh, Kevin Spacey. Um, you know, you got there's this this list of all these different. Uh, it's a lot of them. So anyway, I, I sit here and I just think this is uh, Ronan Farrow, man. I look, I the guy had the worst daytime politics show in the history of cable tv and came back from it and broke big stories you know credit where it's due credit where it's due and this guy this guy's going after big game too he's not messing around going after weinstein with some next level stuff going after moonves he just got pharaohed that's what happened or maybe he got ronined whichever one is better uh all right team we've got uh our friend Greg Jarrett joining us here to talk about his book in a few minutes. And uh, third hour, we have some amazing discussions coming up about the Endangered Species Act. I'll tell you about a bunch of birds that were dive bombing my friends and they could do nothing about it. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. Love. I think it's never too late for this nation. We have reinvented ourselves as a country. We've been into dark places and found a way to rise like a new day sun. I, I have faith in America and Americans. I think we are going to, we, we are going to overcome these, this dark period and find a place in the light. But that, it's nice words to say, but all of us have to take a, a, a sense of responsibility we over that. To get there. Yeah, and it's, it really does start with individual small actions. But we can't expect other people to do things uh, uh, if we're not doing them. You can't ex- want this this nation to be kinder if you don't choose to be kinder. You can't cho- want this nation to be more hopeful unless you become an agent of hope. You can't say that there's so, too much hatred in the world if you don't stand up and be more loving. And that, I think, ultimately uh, is what changes the world. I mean, I got to tell you, that was Cory Booker in an interview. And I- I've been walking around saying, what are the Democrats, what's the messaging going into the midterms? Like, why are you going to show up and vote for them? And there's a part of me, it's like, first of all, Cory Booker sounds like a, a, a parody of what a Democrat politician sounds like, meaning it's it's all just rise like a new day sun and find a place in the light. And, you know, why don't we just start hearkening back, pull, pull a little Reagan here, a little Churchill there. I just I mean, look, that's one thing in a formal speech. He's sitting down for an interview about the, the politics in this country. And then he says, be an agent of hope. I, I Look, I'm, I'm all in favor of of being kind and, and kindness. And when people mean that, I think that's great. That's always a good message. But Cory Booker is a politician. And the same Cory Booker that's sitting here with a, a, a shockingly unself-aware uh, call to the, for, for the left to be more uh, finding a place in the light and agents of hope, a couple of days ago was saying that he felt that anybody who was in favor of Judge Kavanaugh's nomination, Kavanaugh, who would be on the Supreme Court after having been hired at Harvard Law School by Elena Kagan, a liberal Supreme Court justice, because she respects him so much, Cory Booker was saying that anybody who goes with that, uh, goes with Kavanaugh, is part of his evil. And now he's telling us to be an agent of hope. And, you know... 
I think they're just grasping, folks. I think they got. I think they've got nothing. They really. They don't even know what to say. What are you going to say today? Economy's great. Vote Democrat, even though Republicans are in charge. I don't think so. They're so desperate that you even get Pelosi out there saying stuff that I don't even know Pelosi knows what words are coming out of her mouth. She just she just goes into Pelosi mode and it's like some talking points, some brain farts and some some randomness. John, play clip one, please. In fact, I said to some of you before that when we had the 9-11 incident and the commission was formed and they made the recommendations, they made recommendations to protect America. But the Republicans would never take them up. And some of it was about our borders. So now we get Pelosi saying Republicans won't secure the border. That's what that was. Are, are they just trying to throw everything at the wall now? But Cory Booker's message for everybody is be agents of hope and be nice and step into the light and, you know, Rise to the challenge and think outside the box and teamwork makes the dream work. (laughs) Cory Booker has turned into like one of those motivational posters you put up in an office that everyone's like, thanks. We don't really, you know, we don't really need that one. You know, competition makes us all excel. And it's got like a photo of a bald eagle picking up a salmon somewhere. I mean, anyway, it's one of it's one of those things. And, And then you get Nancy Pelosi out there who's got her whole uh, situation going where she's talking about how, uh, you know, she's talking about how the Republicans aren't tough enough on the border. This is what they're heading for. They're, they're, folks, there really is there really is nothing out there for them to point to and say, this is what we're going to, this is what we're going to rally around. You know, th- this is going to be our message uh, other than just the usual class warfare. I mean, it's just pathetic. I saw a poll today that the two top contenders for the uh, Democrats to run in 2020, the two co- uh, top contenders right now are Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden. It isn't that just amazing that the party of the young, the hip and the cool, at least according to the media. And look, it's it, it is a, a perception that's rooted in a, in a degree of reality. You do have a big advantage among millennials for the for the Democrats. But the party that's all those things has as their the closest thing they have to standard bearers right now, Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden, who is complete. Trump was absolutely right on Biden, a completely unremarkable guy who Barack Obama pulled out of nowheresville and made a more prominent figure in the Democrat uh, Democrat Party. And then Bernie Sanders who suffers from the same problems as, as Ocasio-Cortez and, and the rest of the gang, which is what she, what, well, what she says and what he says, but what he says sounds great for a moment. You know, free health care, everyone's going to pay their fair share, and everyone's going to go to college, and there's going to be no cost, and it's going to be great. You know, all that stuff that he says, it sounds nice to people, but then when you actually think about what it would mean and how it would go over, what the day-to-day would be, of a world in which Bernie Sanders actually got his way, and then you realize, oh, that's a terrible idea. This will lead to worse outcomes for everybody. Uh, All of a sudden, Bernie Sanders doesn't seem so hip and so cool anymore. Uh, 
it's it's amazing what the media's done. And, and the fact, the whole notion of Joe Biden, I don't mean to be mean here, but the whole mo- notion of Joe Biden as this like lovable, cuddly America's uncle figure is a media creation. Just like the notion of, of Hillary Clinton as some brilliant political strategist. I'm amazing! And, and all the stuff that she, you know, her, her amazing resume. I mean, yeah, she wrote her husband's coattails into office that she didn't deserve and wasn't going to do very well in and didn't do very well in. And then was a lackluster at best secretary of state and was really just trying to line her line her pockets the whole time. But the media had everybody that would pay attention to them, at least convinced that she was amazing and brilliant. And the same thing with Joe Biden. You know, they couldn't make they couldn't make Hillary likable, though. I'm so likable. I mean, they couldn't do it. They could not pull it off, which is I guess we, we saw the limits, the limits of their powers there. Uh, so. My friends, there is that. Uh, we have a whole lot more coming up here, folks. So uh, we will talk to Greg Jarrett in just a moment about his book on the Russia collusion delusion. Stay with me. Folks, the Russia collusion delusion continues on. As you know, we've been covering it here for the entirety of of that whole saga as it plays out and continues to get crazier and crazier and more and more desperate. We have somebody now who has put together what is thus far the definitive book on this madness, The Russia Hoax, The Illicit Scheme to Clear Hillary Clinton and Frame Donald Trump by Greg Jarrett. Many of you know him as a Fox News legal analyst and also previously uh, as a Fox News anchor. Greg, congrats on the book, and thank you for calling in. Thank you, Buck. Uh, great to be with you. So, uh, all right. I mean, we, we talk about this one all the time. Give me some of the, what are some of the things you hit in the book that either you feel need further emphasis or that maybe people don't think about enough when they're hearing about the Russia collusion and Hillary email scandals? Well, as I, I begin the book, uh, Hillary Clinton clearly violated several different provisions of the Espionage Act and the sheer quantity of the classified documents, 110 of them, on her unauthorized, unsecured server was evidence of crimes. And in fact, Comey wrote that down not once but twice. And then he shows his colleagues at the FBI and he says, here's my statement, but I still want to clear her of any wrongdoing. And, and of course, they, they immediately realized that they would have to change his statements to expunge it of what he had written. So they sit down at a a computer on June 6th. uh, Peter Strzok, the lead investigator, and his paramour, uh, Lisa Page, the FBI lawyer. And they delete the words that Comey wrote, gross negligence, which is right out of the, uh, the felony statute. And they change it to something that's seemingly less culpable uh, carelessness. Where did they get that? Barack Obama had said so on television just weeks earlier. He said, oh, she was merely careless. And so Comey stands in front of television cameras and uh, makes his famous statement clearing her, which made no legal sense and no common sense. But what people didn't, don't know, perhaps until they read this book, that as Comey is clearing Clinton that day, At the very moment he's clearing her on television, his FBI is meeting secretly in London with the author, Christopher Steele, of the fabricated phony dossier that the FBI knew was a fake, but they didn't care 
And with that document, they were off to the races. They used it as a pretext to try to frame Trump for crimes he didn't commit and collusion, which is not even a crime except in antitrust law. And that's really the story of the Russia hoax. Now, uh, Greg, I want to ask you, because I know you've pulled together a lot of research to write the book, and I may push into some areas where there either is no answer or perhaps it's not a place where you can yet give us your, your assessment. But, you know, from what you've seen, do, how much can we say about whether we know or it is likely that the FBI or another agency from the American intelligence community was trying to run a, a human intelligence operation into the Trump campaign before the official start of the investigation, which would have been July of 2016? Yeah, July 31st is when Peter Strzok uh, signs the papers to officially launch the investigation. And then, of course, he immediately jumps a flight to London, uh, where, you know, the dossier was composed. Uh, and it now appears that, in fact, before July 31st, the FBI had already sent in uh, one, if not more than one, uh, undercover confidential informants to spy on the Trump campaign. So even before they signed the papers, uh, they were were spying on the Trump campaign. They had no legal basis to launch the investigation of Trump. And they violated their own FBI guidelines and the Department of Justice regulations. There was no probable cause. They had no credible evidence of crimes. There was no plausible intelligence to justify a counterintelligence probe. They invented or exaggerated facts, and, you know, this was a hoax manufactured by high-ranking officials at the FBI and the Department of Justice. And I lay out meticulously with 700 footnotes all of the facts, the evidence, and the law. And I think people who, who read this, even Democrats, will reach the inexorable conclusion that this was a cesspool of corruption and Trump was the victim, not the villain. Where do you think this whole thing originated? I mean, to the best of your knowledge and based on all this research pulled together, who, who do you think was the, the, the originator of this hoax, as, as you describe it? Well, I think the instigator of the hoax was John Brennan. And, uh, in fact, I write extensively in one of the chapters about the fabricated dossier that that Brenner more than Brennan more than anybody else was the propagator of that dossier, you know, as the head of the CIA and an Obama in a sycophant and a Clinton in a lackey. He he saw Hillary Clinton as the third term of Barack Obama and it meant that Brennan would keep his job as CIA director. Uh, and so he was motivated by partisan bias and personal animus uh, directed at, at Donald Trump. He had to stop Trump. And the best way he could do it was to launch this dilating probe, which would uh, damage or destroy Trump. We're speaking and to so Greg I, Jarrett. I point my the, finger at Brennan. We're speaking to Greg Jarrett, the author of the, the Russia hoax, the illicit scheme to clear Hillary Clinton and frame Donald Trump. He's also, of course, a Fox News uh, analyst. Greg, what are the questions at this point that you really want answers to? And you know, maybe it's specific information. 
that we haven't gotten yet. But if we if we get you feel like that finally is the last piece we need to finish this puzzle. Two things. Um, More of the FISA abuse documents. Uh, We need about 20 pages of the warrant application that is redacted that needs to be declassified and unredacted. And I think that will shock Americans. Uh, The other is that um, Rod Rosenstein, the deputy attorney general, continues to obstruct justice and defy a lawful subpoena. He will not hand over the papers, the documents uh, that demonstrate the reasons why the FBI initially started the investigation of Trump. And, you know, my sources who who have not let me down yet tell me that if that information is made public, um, Donald Trump will be absolutely and irrevocably cleared of these specious allegations. Do you think that Rosenstein is is motivated mostly by a desire to protect the FBI as an institution or the DOJ rather as an institution? Is, is it is it bureaucratic turf protection or do you think he's actually a, a, an anti-Trump partisan? Uh, I think it's both. I, I, I do think he's an anti-Trump partisan. Uh, I know Donald Trump uh, deeply regrets appointing not just Jeff Sessions, but Rod Rosenstein at the Department of Justice. But I, you know, I think Rosenstein is also covering up his own wrongdoing. He is the one who signed that last renewal for the wiretap uh, warrant application. And, you know, under the, the law and the regulations of the FBI and the Department of Justice, they are not allowed to submit to a FISA secret court unverified information. That's exactly what they did. And on that Rosenstein renewal, you can only get a renewal if you present new evidence. And so far, it looks as though the documents prove there was no new evidence. They deceived the court and concealed evidence from the judges. That's a fraud on the court, and it's also a felony called abuse of power. Everybody should check out the book for themselves, The Russia Hoax, The Illicit Scheme to Clear Hillary Clinton and Frame Donald Trump by Greg Jarrett. Greg, appreciate you making the time. Best of luck with the book. I know it's doing very well. I hope it continues to do so. And when this whole Mueller probe finally, this nightmare ends, we hope you'll come back and uh, kind of do an after wrap for us. How about that? My pleasure, Buck. Good to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Thanks so much. Have a good weekend. All right, team, we got a big hour three on the way. Every day starts the same way in the Freedom Hut, my friends, with a cup of Black Rifle coffee. Don't buy coffee from a bunch of commies who don't share your values, don't care about this country, and honestly want to make sure that you're approaching them with pronouns that they just made up yesterday, okay? You want the best coffee on the market that's small batch roast to order and is from a company that's supported by, run by, founded by veterans, okay? I drink Black Rifle coffee every day, and I want every person listening to the show to make Black Rifle their coffee company, their coffee of choice, okay? So visit blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. Receive 15% off your order. That's blackriflecoffee.com slash buck for 15% off blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. And by the way, check out their coffee club where they'll deliver it to you like they do for me every month sent to your door never have to worry about buying coffee again it'll come to you with blackriflecoffee.com slash buck 
Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. The Endangered Species Act. You would think that this is one of those areas where we all kind of more or less agree, right? We don't want beautiful animal species to be eradicated from the face of the earth. And I actually grew up and I had a tremendous fondness for learning about animals. This is in the days when you had to go to a library and actually get books with pictures in them, right? I'd get so excited in doctor's offices because they would have when I was a little kid, all these stacks of National Geographic, and I would just I would just look through the pictures. I wouldn't really look at the articles. But I, I really liked animals as a kid. I still really like animals now. But, you know, I, I wanted when I was a kid to be an animal conservationist until I figured out that that's not really a way that you can make uh, much of a living. It's a tough, tough thing to do. Uh, not a lot of commerce involved in that. But, but you think about the Endangered Species Act, and you go, okay, this is one of those areas where the emotional pull is very strong. And that's why CNN, of course, jumps out with a story like this. The Trump administration wants to roll back the Endangered Species Act. These 10 animals may not be here without it. And it's not just the uh, it's not just CNN that's going off on this. There are a lot of a lot of news outlets. I saw a piece on Business Insider that's. And it's the theme is all the same. Oh, my gosh, Trump doesn't care about the animals. He's such a savage. Uh, bald Eagle is one of the ones. American Alligator. What else? Grizzly Bear. I'm a big bear fan. American Peregrine Falcon. What else do they have? The Southern Sea Otter. I've always thought an otter would be cool to have as a pet. Side note, I actually looked up, because I'm, I'm a little weird. I've looked up some alternative pet options in my day and really researched them, because I thought it would be kind of fun. And... It turns out that a fox, as much as they're really cute, they make really bad pets. Uh, they they dig a lot. And, I mean, if you don't have dig defense, then you're definitely out of luck, right? So there's that. Uh, they dig a lot, and they also smell really skunky. They smell, and they, they mark all their territory, and it smells terrible. And they also are wild animals, so they bite. Even if they're, te- even if they're technically uh, tame, they're not domesticated. So they can be bite. They can be biters. That's one of the ways they'll communicate. They'll just give you a nice nip and you draw blood, and that's not fun. So a fox is not a good option for most folks. And then uh, I was trying to think what the other one that I was. Uh, th- oh yeah, I-, I think having not a porcupine. That's a bad idea. Whoa, uh, but a hedgehog would be fun. But they're banned in New York and D.C. where I am now. They ban porcupines. Oh, I keep saying porcupine. That you don't want as a pet. That's a bad idea. They ban hedgehogs as pets in the swamp just makes no sense to me at all now back to the endangered species act so here's what's going on republicans want to look at this this law which hasn't been updated in 25 years and there are some problems with it all right I, yes it's done some good things for some animals or aminals as i used to call them when i was a little kid uh it's done some good things for them but you know you, you look at it and for example there's threatened species versus endangered species and the truth is that uh with a Threatened species, you're basically dealing with the same thing. So it's a distinction without a difference. And if you're a landowner, 
and you have to deal with some of this, you know, it's not always about just saving the, the timber wolves, right? There, there are other animals that you might not be so emotionally tied to that fall under this very broad rubric of the Endangered Species Act. And the Trump administration has come along. They're like, you know, we like, we like owls and stuff too, but we also like property rights. You know, for example, in, uh, you know, in uh, Utah, there is the June sucker, which is a, which is a species of fish. Uh, I don't know how many of you even would know that, but the, the June sucker is an endangered species. It looks kind of like a, like a carp. Uh, and as a result of the June sucker only existing in, in this one place, the laws uh, the, under the Endangered Species Act have grabbed 700 acres from a dozen property owners. This is uh, Senator Hatch did a whole review of this on, on his uh, official site. Uh, 700 acres, dozen property owners, and you look at some of this stuff, and basically once they decide that you are covered on the Endangered Species Act, you can't do anything to your land anymore. And there's also no... Uh, there, there's no plan really for that to change. Um, you got things like the desert tortoise, the gray wolf, um, prairie dogs. All these guys get covered, and and you have here. Here's a good example to protect the June sucker. The government is paying fishermen to eradicate carp from Utah Lake. Carp, the federal government put in there in the first place in the 1880s to promote the fish as a food source. Thus far. Seven million pounds have been removed at 20 cents a pound, and there's an estimated four million or more pounds, 40 million or more pounds to go for a cost of 10 million dollars. And there's more where that came from. Taxpayer money has been spent on a hatchery to breed and stock Utah, a Utah lake with 300,000 June suckers. More has been expended to restore Hobble Creek habitat for spawning and to acquire water rights, all for a minor species many deemed too inconsequential for all that expense and disruption. In Iron County, prairie dogs are the problem. They are burrowing into graves, airport runways, golf courses, and other public and private property. Unfortunately, local officials there are powerless to stop them because prairie dogs are listed under the Endangered Species Act as a threatened species, and their removal is only allowed in agricultural areas. You know, this this reminds me of... So I, I had this friend who had a beach house when I was growing up. I, I, I don't think I've ever told the story on radio before. I had this friend who had a beach house, and it was a very fancy, very nice beach house. You know, it was very, uh, they were a very comfortable family. And I would occasionally get to visit this beach house. And he had piping plovers nesting on the dune, because the house was right on the beach. On the dune behind the house, on the way to the ocean, he had piping plovers nesting there. Now, you might think, okay, Buck, who cares about the, I, th- I think they were piping, yeah, I think that's right. I might have the species, maybe it was sandpipers, I don't know, I can't remember. It was some kind of threatened bird species. Let's say it was piping plovers. And they were nesting there, and, yep, that's right, it, it was piping plovers. They were listed as threatened and endangered in 19, and then endangered in 1986. So they had a, a, essentially an endangered species nesting in their backyard. And the and this is a very you know high very like I said very expensive beach house, and they weren't able to walk over their dune anymore. They had to create a separate pathway, and the plovers are actually territorial, and you can't remove them. 
And so you could imagine, you know, your your great joy in life is this beach house for his family. They had to have this separate walkway. And when you try to go up this other walkway, it was very inconvenient to get to the beach, to get over this dune. The plovers would, like, one of them would kind of go, and go up in the air and kind of with its wings trying to make itself look all big. And then they would start dive bombing you. And I remember seeing them with guests, and people would have to hold towels over their heads as they made a beeline. I mean, just just booking it, running as fast as they can to the beach while these piping plovers that they're not allowed to touch, that they can't go near, are straight up dive bombing them like a bunch of spitfires from the sky and makes a little noise and flying all around them. And, you know, occasionally that actually like bump right into their head. And it was crazy, man. And, you know, it sounds like not a big deal. But when you're going for a nice little stroll at the beach, you don't want to get dive bombed by a bird. That's not cool. You can't fight back. You get a huge fine if you even get seen walking in the nesting area. So, you know, Endangered Species Act. Maybe it's worth another look. You know, maybe the piping plover's okay. I'm just saying. The FBI says that home title theft is one of the fastest growing crimes out there. And I'm telling you, if you've ever had your credit card stolen, it is nothing compared to what you are in for if an identity thief takes control of your home's title. You know, everything is stored online these days, folks. I have seen the folks at Home Title Lock have walked me through how easy it is. All they have to do is get access to your data online, and it's there. And then they use a simple program to forge a signature. Then they have a fake document they produce. And all of a sudden, they can present that and take money out, loans out, against the equity in your home. It is a nightmare. By the way, you're insured, not going to cover it, not going to help you out with this at all. Home Title Lock for just pennies a day protects my most viable asset, my family's home. Register now for a free analysis and discover if your home's title has been compromised. Could have already happened, folks. That's a $60 value free. Visit Home. TitleLock.com. Again, that's HomeTitleLock.com. Oh, wait, but before I go, guys, uh, the the Freedom Hub podcast this week, it is former Marine Jesse Kelly, who's hilarious, and and former Army Ranger and, and author uh, Sean Parnell, who's a, a great guy, also really funny. I mean, they're just two really, you're going to enjoy it. I'm, I'm telling you, those of you who are like, what is it, Buck? I basically just sit around with, with Jesse and Sean and we just talk about all kind. We discuss what weapon you want if the zombie apocalypse happens. Uh, we discuss the proper way and proper cut of steak to order. Uh, feminism, straw bands, Trump. Uh, we, we cover incredible stuff. And these guys are. And of course, you got a marine and a ranger, so they just make fun of each other. And I'm like the CIA nerd, so I just try to stay out of it. Uh, but I'm, I'm telling you, I think it's just it's like a 30 minute chill session i think you all really really uh, enjoy it so if you haven't already on itunes on stitcher it's up uh the freedom hut podcast this week with jesse kelly and sean parnell i think you will really really enjoy it uh and with that stay with me team but you can't be any geek off the street Got to be handy with the steel, if you know what I mean, earn you keep. Let's see who can get that quote. Anyway, somehow this didn't get any press coverage really this past week, and, and I, I think it's something you want to hear about. A, a huge ruling for gun rights, a huge ruling for the Second Amendment, and surprisingly enough, it comes courtesy of the Ninth Circuit, right? Sometimes, sometimes referred to as the Ninth Circus, that uh, federal court district out, 
West that has given some of the worst decisions, including the Hawaii decision, Hawaii v. Uh, v. Trump, on the issue of the so-called Muslim ban, which, as we know, is not actually a Muslim ban. But let's get into this gun rights case, folks. This was a big deal. So the Ninth Circuit uh, decided that George Young, who was a guy in Hawaii who wanted to carry a handgun for personal defense, the Ninth Circuit decided that, in, that in fact, the state of Hawaii can't just refuse to both allow open and concealed carry. Now, Hawaii, like some other U.S. states, is a may-issue state, meaning that they have discretion whether or not to issue a permit for somebody to, uh, to own and carry a firearm. Uh, and they require what they call, quote, reason to fear injury, to the applicant's person or property. That's Hawaii's law on this one. Well, what ended up becoming clear from when this went to court is that the state of Hawaii does not issue... There is nobody, it seems, who is not a law enforcement officer who qualifies to carry a firearm in the state of Hawaii. That's right. They were not giving out permits. In fact, they had not issued... And this is stunning... They had not issued a single permit, not one, folks, not one in Hawaii, which I think is uh, very indicative, isn't it, of what's really going on there. Uh, California is another state, by the way, that rarely issues permits to conceal carry. And uh, New York City is also another one where you can get one. Famously, actually, Donald Trump has one, uh, but you have to be connected and there's a lot of inside baseball about about how you get those how you get those permits uh so now this means that what they've decided is that uh you know you can open carry folks that's what's going to end up happening in in the entire ninth circuit now um so that is a big decision uh that is a big decision and this could result in ramifications for open carry across the country. Uh, but first, here's what might happen, right? They could appeal this Ninth Circuit decision to the entire Ninth Circuit, which is called en banc. I don't know why we have a French, you know, why we got to have a French thing for a, mais oui, it's en banc. We'll decide the firearm case at the top level of the appeal court, no? Uh, but they have this whole en banc thing. That's a possibility. Or, they could take it right to the Supreme Court, but hey, thanks, Trump. That's right. Who's who's likely to win at the Supreme Court if this goes all the way up? Oh, that's right. The the Second Amendment and conservatives. And oh, if Kavanaugh's on there, even more so. I had that discussion today with uh, one of our Senate reporters here at the Hill. It's kind of fun. I've got people walking around the office who all they do is cover Congress. All they do is cover Senate. All the you know, this is. Uh, you know, White House, whatever the case may be. So I, uh, I, I said, what do you, what's the Senate going to do? Why is the Senate staying? And oh, that's right. As I asked the question, it I remembered they're staying in se- they're staying in session for all of August because Kavanaugh. Uh, I think they're off for one week in August, which for elected officials, this is like, it feels like it's unprecedented. They never stick around for this kind of stuff. So anyway, uh, in Hawaii, they so ba- back to this gun case. Um, it looks like this now means that in Hawaii, because remember the Ninth Circuit isn't just the state of Hawaii. It, it covers some of California and it has a whole, it's a geographic area. And now it means that people will be able 
to open carry guns on their hip. That's right. You'll be able to open carry a handgun in those states. Uh, So they can appeal it, as I said. It could go all the way up to the Supreme Court, but if it goes up to the Supreme Court, then you may see it. You know, they may not want to do that, right? The gun control advocates have to try to, they're going to game this out and they're going to see um, what they think the best pathway is here because what they really don't want is a DCV Heller situation, which I think is what would happen, right? DCV Heller made it clear that you, you have to, if, if you meet, you know, standards of basic standards of legality, if you're not a criminal, if you're not falling afoul of some generally applicable statute passed by Congress about handgun ownership, or, or sorry, about firearms ownership, you can't just be flatly denied the right to own a firearm. Okay, you cannot just be flatly denied. And that, so DCV Heller said you have to be able to get a a weapon that you can have at home, but there's not a sweeping applicable decision. A lot of you are like, Buck, it's called the Second Amendment. I, I know, but that's not the way that it is currently in practice, folks. I mean, go into lots of, there are lots of states, like I said, California until now, New York still, you know, you you open carry and, you know, you're, well, you can't open carry in some places. So, it, but DCV Heller said you, you can own a firearm if it goes all the way up to the Supreme Court. And then they say, not only can you own a firearm, but that the right to keep, that's the right to keep, right? To keep and bear arms, bear arms, to carry. And if that then gets forced at the Supreme Court level, that means it would get rid of all of the prohibitions that states and cities have on open carry, which means that a lot of very blue, very left-wing gun control states would be in a position where now the Supreme Court has said, sorry, if people want to open carry, they can open carry. So, you know, this was a big victory for the uh, the Second Amendment. It just happened this week. I mean, people are not focused in on this at all. And I just think it's so fascinating. Uh, the decision was on was on Tuesday. It was George Young uh, versus the well, it went up versus the state of Hawaii. Um, and it was a really interesting, interesting case, the way this went down. And the panel, quote, acknowledged that while the concealed carry of firearms categorically falls outside the Second Amendment protection, it was satisfied that the Second Amendment encompasses a right to carry a firearm openly in public for self-defense. This is from the text of the decision. Analyzing the Second Amendment and reviewing the relevant history, including founding era treatises and 19th century case law, the panel stated it was unpersuaded by the county and state of Hawaii's argument that the Second Amendment only has force within the home. The panel stated that once identified as an individual right focused on self-defense, the right to bear arms must guarantee some right to self-defense in public. Panel held that because Hawaii law restricted plaintiff in exercising the right to carry a firearm openly, it burdened conduct protected by the Second Amendment. Folks, this is big. This is big. And, uh, you know, I really think that this is something that we could see have uh, ramifications at the national level. So I, I just wanted to uh, put that out there and bring some news to you. Haven't heard probably elsewhere this week. Good week for a good week for the Second Amendment, a good week for the right to, to keep and bear arms in this country, my friends. We've got roll call coming up. Hey, Team Buck, it's time for roll call. All right, let's get into some roll call. 
which is my uh, Friday favorite, of course. We do double roll call. I always have many, uh, many, many more messages that I could get you on air than I have the, the time to. So Friday, we try to extend it out a little bit, uh, especially because some of you folks I don't listen on the podcast, and I feel like this is a way of bringing the podcast family right into the conversation and get to hear their thoughts on air. Let's get to it. We have Envy, who writes, Not sure if this is your roll call or not, but been enjoying your radio show on my eight, as my 8-year-old gets a big kick out of your Hillary impersonation. Well, thank you very much. Uh, and this is indeed roll call, and you were the first message in it. So, appreciate that. Jason writes, Your FBI quote is from Die Hard. She asked for miracles, dear. I give you the FBI. Indeed, Jason, as you just heard there, you are correct. So uh, you get the the special prize, which is being correct. The knowledge that you were right on this one, uh, which I hope you, uh, I hope will keep you safe and warm at night. All right, next up here, Brian. Uh, Brian writes, "Hey guys, keep up the great work on all fronts. Really think that Team Buck can cultivate even more followers with three minute Buck Blast for short attention span recovering liberals." allowing easy sharing across all social platforms. As an example, grab the sound bites on Ukraine comments uh, from last night and put it on Twitter with Truth Hurts Buck Blast. Have a great weekend and hope you all can decompress for a couple days. Keep the dream alive. Uh, well, thank you very much, Brian. And I like, your, I like that idea. Uh, we should probably do some shorter segments and push those out as well. Bob also writes, listening to the show from last night, movie quote was from Die Hard. Indeed, Bob, you are also correct on that one. Uh, John, next up here. Hey, Buck, looks good so far, but how do you watch your AM show on the Hill? I don't do regular TV watching anymore because of Hilleroids. Hmm. I regularly have to deal with Shields High, Shields High Capitalist Hyena. Greetings, Imperialist Hyena. Um... The answer is you. if you have an internet connection or you have cell phone service, you just go to hill.tv. And if you want to go right to the show, you can go hill.tv slash rising. Just type that into the browser. 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 Hill.tv slash rising. And you can watch the show. We actually have fun today with uh, Jamal Simmons. Remember, it's, it's me and a Democrat, folks. So if you just want libs to get schooled, it's not the show for you because that's not what we do on the show. Uh, that's what I do here <laughs> because I just get to tell you what I really think. Uh, you know, you have to be polite when you're dealing with a, a cross-political aisle conversation. Um, but uh, do check it out. I, th- I think you'd really appreciate some of the segments. Some of them are not. You know, occasionally we have just a progressive interviewing a progressive or just me interviewing a conservative. So that also happens on the show. Be aware of that. Aries. Come on, Buck. Hans Gruber. In Die Hard, when they cut the power, if you want to dupe me, you be- dupe me. You better stick with the chick flicks you seem so fond of. Ouch, Aries, Aries, with the rough stuff. But uh, he is in fact correct, and he knows he's correct. That was Hans Gruber, whom I, I think you could say is um, among the all-time greatest action movie bad guys. Maybe the greatest action movie bad guy of of all time. Uh, William. Right, I missed that really serious guy you have used to have on. Cook was his name. He was immune to your humor. Tough but true. But he was very informative, and it was fun to hear you say, "Great to have you on, Mister Cook. Come back anytime." And thank you. And he would say, 
Yes, in his serious English <laughs> That's true. Yes, in his serious English accent. Missed that guy and trying to make him lighten up um, William. Now you're talking about Charles Cook, who is a, is, a, is a great guy, a brilliant writer, and a really interesting fellow. Uh, he does occasionally pop up, I know, on a- HLN with S.E. Cup on her show. And I would love to have Charles back. Uh, you know, I just I just do less guests these days because I like to run the conversation with you. There's some people like when you can get Andy McCarthy to weigh in. There's some other folks when you can get them to really dive into the news of the day. It's just an asset that you can't pass up. But for the most part, I like to talk to you on my own. That said, I'm happy to reach out to Charles and have him on. He he's great, and I will say also he's a very nice fellow too, which I always really appreciated. Charles is a he's a he's a good guy. Chris writes, it can't be just Great White Shark Week because someone would claim Great White Supremacy. All right, Chris. I see what you did there. Uh, You know, that's just my thing, though. They always try to bring you this other, oh, like we're going to do a show on how, you know, eroding habitat means that the, you know, the leopard shark may go extinct or something. And you're like, yeah, do I really care about the leopard shark? Do I really? Do I really sit here and go, oh, oh no, what's going to happen with the leopard shark? Oh, no. I think we all know the answer to that. I'm not losing sleep over it. I don't think, I don't think you are either. So that's where, I, that's where I come down on that one. Uh, next up here, we have William, who writes, Hey, Buck, I don't have Twitter. And when I tried calling the phone, it was so busy, so I thought I'd shoot you a message through Facebook with all the talk. Yeah, by, by the way, sorry, guys, we got... One person producing, doing phones, doing a lot of things. So it, I, I, some of you also asked, Buck, why don't you take more calls? We're just, we're, we're kind of a, you know, we're, we're a three-man band, which sounds like plenty, but that, that we got to do a lot of things at the same time, which means sometimes the phones don't get, we can't get to the calls right away. Literally can't get to the phones in time. Um, anyway, but here, here we go. William says, I thought I'd shoot you a message. With all the talk about Facebook right now, I would like to know your opinion on blockchain Social media like Steam it shields high. Uh, William, let me say I don't know about blockchain social media. I, so, so here's here's what I can tell you to try to give a, a decent answer to this question. Uh, blockchain is the underlying technology that cryptocurrencies rely on, and blockchain is what people are saying. Even if cryptocurrency doesn't become the way you pay for stuff in the future doesn't become the the digital currency of the future the underlying technology which involves an online ledger that everyone keeps a copy of on their computer in a sense or everybody who touches the ledger has their own copy of it uh, which means that it's very hard it's essentially a, a perfect record keeping system it's very hard to falsify because you can't just change it on one end you'd have to change it you have to change every copy on every computer um, and, and I, I, that just makes it a lot more difficult, right? So it's, think about it this way. If you were keeping a notebook, somebody could go in there and, and they could erase what you've written and write something else in. And, and maybe, you know, you'd say, well, Buck, I'd see that they erased it, but yeah, but just for the purpose of the analogy, if you had a notebook and somebody could go in and erase it, that's one thing. But if you have a hundred notebooks with exactly the same text in them and everyone has their own copy, it's a whole lot harder to go and erase every single version in every single notebook and do it in a way that nobody will figure that out. That's a very lay person, which is what I am on this issue, explanation of how blockchain, one of the ways that blockchain works. And people say for things like even uh, looking at 
where food comes from. I mean, blockchain has so many applications. Um, how it work on social media? I mean, I, I think the big, the big next frontier on social media is real verification. Um, mean, and I don't mean like Twitter verification, like having a blue badge. I mean that there is a human being and not a bot, and there is a person who's responsible for that account, and the person is who they say they are. And blockchain may be able to play a real role in that. So if that's what you mean about blockchain social media, I find that fascinating. Um, I don't, though, have enough expertise, William, to go into greater detail on it than that. Paul writes, wow, thanks, man. I didn't expect an answer from you. Thank you very much, Shields High. And that's in response to when he wrote, I wanted to listen to your podcast while at the gym, but the July 25th was not on there. Guys, I don't know why. Uh that that podcast didn't upload to the iHeart platform. It's just a tech glitch, so sorry about that. Always remember, if you can't get it on iHeart, uh, on that app, you can try going to bucksexton.com, and we'll get it going there. Uh, so that would be one way to approach this. Um, Thomas, right? But by the way, also, please do send me, if you guys want to listen to the podcast and it's not there, I want to make sure that you are completely able to listen to the podcast. So if there's any problem, please do inform me. All right, please let me give us a heads up. I'll get producer Mike on it and he will he will give the code red to one of our imaginary interns because we don't we don't have any interns actually. The hell we have interns, but for the Buck Saxon radio show, we do not have interns. Um which maybe we should change that for next summer. It'd be fun to get some interns. All right. Uh you know what actually? I'm going to roll into a just a little brief pause here with our roll call. We're going to come back with more Roll Call, it's going to be phenomenal. You're going to love it because Roll Call is amazing because it's what you write to me. Uh, and uh, don't forget, by the way, that the podcast, The Freedom Hut with Buck Sexton, will be out tonight. My guests, Jesse Kelly and Sean Parnell. It's going to be a conversation between a bunch of dudes. Great listening over the weekend. I'm going to keep it short, you know, maybe 30, 40 minutes or so. So uh, you're really going to, I'm telling you, those guys are hilarious. They're great dudes. A lot of fun. It'll be a great podcast to listen to, so please do check that out. It is on iTunes. It is on Stitcher, etc., etc. We will be right back. All right, more Roll Call, because you know you love it. I love it. The Roll Call is here. Uh, by the way, somebody asked me today about uh, the Freedom Hut podcast. They said, what is it? I said, well, we're kind of figuring that out. But right now, we're doing great guests. That's what we're going with because I don't do much in the way of guest interviews. But if you've got a different idea, let me know. Also, I will soon have more studio access than in the past uh, because, well, I'll have all my gear from New York down here in the swamp, which means that Shields High is coming back, folks. It's coming back. It's, I'm telling you, I'm telling you it's coming back. So uh, there's that. But let's get into roll call. Uh, Revis wrote the following for me. Buck, Shields High. Maybe you remember Sandy Berger, who served as the United States National Security Advisor for President Bill Clinton from March 14th until January 20th, 2001, from 1997, that is, until 2001. He was observed stealing National Archive documents after 9-11. Some say he was covering up for the Clinton administration in the aftermath of 9-11 to keep federal investigators from finding what they knew about Osama bin Laden and what they knew. And he got that info because he still had an access and a TS clearance because he was a former National Security Advisor from Revis. Uh, Revis, I can tell you, yes, I do know the case of Sandy, the, the uh, what do they call him? This? Sandy Burglar, I think is what people refer to him as, as a while, uh, for a while. And yes, I, I certainly know uh, about his case, and, and here's what I can tell you about it, uh, or what I know of it. 
Um, he stuffed documents into his socks, and it was classified stuff, which is a bizarre thing for a former national security advisor, obviously a very senior government official to do, unless it was he was really concerned about some legacy issues that would have come up with the Clinton administration. What exactly was in those documents? Well, we don't know. I believe they were handwritten documents that he took that were classified, which means that destruction of them does get rid of them from the record. Uh, but he only got his clearance suspended. Uh, that's right. He only had his clearance suspended or maybe I think it was revoked for a period of time, something like that. Brad, next up here. Dear Buck, my son introduced me to your podcast a few months back, and I can't tell you how refreshing it is to hear the truth about what is going on in the swamp and get it get away from all the Trump bashing. At the end of your Wednesday podcast, you mentioned that conservatives have only one news network uh, that they would want to work for, Fox News. Can I suggest one American news network? I don't get to watch it as much as I'd like, but it's the closest thing to Fox News I have found and gives you just the facts. Thanks for a great show and shields high, Brad. You know, Brad, I've actually never seen one American news. I've, I've, I've only seen clips of it, but I've never watched a full broadcast. So... I'll check it out. I don't know if I have it. I have Verizon Fios. So maybe I get that channel. I'm going to tell you something. I think the cable interface is just garbage now. It's really hard to find stuff. There's so many channels. I have a thousand channels. I want like 10 channels, but I have a thousand channels. Well, what is this? It's crazy town. And I, I sound like a grumpy old man. I sit there. I'm like, gosh, darn it. Can't get the. You know, I'm looking for HBO on demand and I can't find it and it's giving me HBO, you know, family or zone or something. It just never works. It just never works. I know. Get off my lawn. I'm aware. I am aware. Uh, here we go. Um, Buck, always listenable. You are most well-stated on every topic, even touchy, swampy subjects. And then here's the Emily Dickinson Museum in Amherst, Massachusetts. Thanks, uh, Sigmund. I appreciate that. Very kind of you. And thanks for giving me the heads up. Emily Dickinson, I remember that from when I was a student at Amherst. Yep. Tim writes, Buck, what's next? Mandatory sit-down for little boys to go to the bathroom? Shields high, toilet seat up. Yeah, Tim, I don't know. If the feminists have their way, nothing nothing is too crazy. There's nothing that's outside the boundaries of their craziness. We have David, who writes in with, Hey, Buck, we know the term liberal snowflake. But the Republicans need a moniker of their own, and I have one. Conservative hailstone. Huh. Whereas a liberal snowflake will melt as soon as it lands, a conservative hailstone will crack your windshield and force you into a damn ditch. Hope to hear conservative hailstone and the explanation of its usage on your program. You can absorb the full credit. P.S. Thanks for the option of not having to listen to some other show. Okay. I don't know what that other show is, but thank you very much, David. Appreciate it. And, uh... Conservative hailstone. All right. Good times. Good times. Hannah writes, Smarmy Smurf has me laughing. Did you get a new mic? You sound so crisp. Oh, and you can't, you're so stupid stare at liberals like Tucker can, but you win the hair game. The Tucker stare is world class. I, I agree with that. And, and look, I have respect for Tucker's hair. There's enough room for Buck and Tucker's hair in the world. That is a true statement. Uh, Steve writes, hey, Buck, love the edition of the Freedom Hut podcast, a Buck loyalist, super OSS, both real news and original Saturday squad. Well, thank you, Steve. You're like a family member. As Rush would say, a glittering jewel of colossal ignorance. 
stated to abolish ICE and create a more humane agency. So what do they want? A Walmart greeter to say, welcome to America. Here's your welfare access card. Uh, ugh. Love the show from New Hampshire. The live free or die state. Shields high. Steve. Well, Steve, thank you for a great message there. Uh, very kind of you. It's so cool that I've got uh, all these different folks who have been with me now for, gosh, if you've been with me from the beginning, folks, it's really seven years we've been hanging out together. It's pretty amazing. I did have my first person come up to me and say that they liked Rising on the street here in D.C. and liked me on the show. It was a conservative, a young man who works on Capitol Hill. So uh, I forget his name. We did introduce ourselves to each other, but I do appreciate that. It was very nice. I told him to listen to the radio show, so he should send me a Facebook message, and then I'll give him a specific shout-out for being my first rising swamp buddy. Uh, That's going to be it for me from the hut today. Until next time, my friends. Oh, download the Freedom Hut podcast and Shields High.